Let's pray and let's jump in. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for the word of the Lord. Thank you that the Bible's clear. What we're about to open up tonight and research and study from your word, it will be medicine to us, life to our bones, health to our body. I pray as we open up this topic called revival that you will quicken us in a supernatural way. I pray that everything you've designed for us to accomplish on this corner will begin to manifest. And we won't just talk about it. We will see it with our eyes. We will see the things that have been prophesied and spoken over this corner and for our city and for what you've called us to do on a mission here. I thank you for it in Jesus' precious name. And would you say amen? Amen. I want to talk to you about this word called revival. And I'm going to end tonight with four very difficult questions that are going to challenge you to your core, I pray, and cause you to look inward at what we're really doing as Christians, and especially on the corner here. I titled it Revival, and I put a picture of a bridge because uh, a lot of times God is taking us places that we, we probably don't want to go. And God is trying to push us out of the nest to do things we don't want to accomplish. And yet, at the same time, we want to see them come, but it challenges us to move forward. So I went through the Bible according to the topic because what I've been asked a lot lately is, do I believe there will be an end-time revival? And I give my answer, not tritely, but I give it as in my answer is no, I don't. Because I believe God has already poured out what needs to be poured out, which was the baptism of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And I don't know if there's going to be another outpouring. What I would like to say when I say, no, there's not going to be a revival, is I don't think God is going to do anything different. He's already poured out the Spirit. So the better question is, do I believe that people are going to get in the stream and the river of the Spirit? Because if we do that, if we get in the stream that's already here, if we get under the anointing that's already here, if we get under the power that's already here, then I do believe we could see what we would term revival. If I'm not careful, I'll use the term revival as if I'm waiting on God to do something unique for my generation. And I put the responsibility off on God. God, I need you to bring revival. And I believe, which is why I said no, I don't think revival like we think is coming, I don't believe that we should be waiting on God. God is waiting on us. He is waiting on a people that will work for the harvest and that will find intentionality in pushing His kingdom forward. Uh, However we want to term the word revival in history, you better believe it came with responsibility. When God moved, it moved his, His people into a realm of responsibility. And he called things out of people. And he did things in people. So what I want to do over the next several weeks, I'm not going to rush the topic for sure. I want to talk about this word revival as it reflects on us in this church. Not to the nation, but to the corner here. And what does God want to do on this corner I went through the Bible, as I said, and this may be shocking to you, I could find no word called revival in the English Bible. I I get tickled that we talk about it so much, but it's not even a word that's found in our Bible. Uh, 
So I took the word revival and just went to the word revive. I went through about five to six different translations and at best could only find about 17 to 20 words, the word revive. And so it made me go, why are we so focused on something that the Bible doesn't seem to focus on? Why are we so focused on revival when I can't even find the words to teach it? I just wanted to Google revival in the Bible and then just pull all the scriptures out and put them together and build a topic and you do the word revival and it comes up zero entries. So you go to another version, zero entries. And then you go to another version, zero entries. And then you go to the real version, King James, zero entries. And so when you get zero entries across the board, you start having this thought, well, why is revival so on the lips of all God's people, but I can't even find the word in the Scripture, and this is what I heard. I'm not saying it's God, but it did rise up in my soul. And the thing that rose up is, Mark, you're expecting things that I don't even expect, and you're expecting the wrong things. And so that took me on a journey, and I want to teach it to you tonight briefly, and then I'm going to call Michael up. Uh, about the top of the hour in about the next 30 minutes or so to call Michael up and we're going to worship this out and we're going to pray it out every week. So guess where I went to figure out revival? <laughs> I always go there. I went to the book of Genesis because I thought, why would, why would I think there needs to be a revival? Now, the reason I would think in my soul there needs to be a revival, and I think the reason we would all say it, is because we would believe that humans are far off of what God expects of us. So we would say, we need a revival, and really what we mean is the world is going to hell in a handbasket, and something needs to happen to turn them back to the right basket and get them back into God's plan. So I wanted to at least consider what I felt in my heart. Mark, you're, you're thinking wrong about revival. The expectation is wrong because when I would think revival, I would think people flooding in the coming in and lost people and sinners coming in and the building fills up and we go for three years straight without ever having a break and, and people are slain in the spirit and demons are coming out and healings are happening and we're all cheering. That's the, the, the typical thought of, well, what is revival? And I was having a problem teaching that because I couldn't even find the word to match up all that stuff. And so I went to the beginning, and this is what I came up with. And then the Lord God planted a garden in, the e in Eden in the east, and there He placed the man. And so what began to resonate in my heart was, what if revival is a placing of God to where He plants you in His purposes? So that when we say, I think we need revival, what we need to think is that we are not in the place where God wants us to be. And revival is when a human soul comes into the place God has designed and plants their life in that place. And when they plant themselves in where God wants them to be, they become revived. So it's not a service, it's not a Friday night service, it's a planting. And it's why you can say things like this, well, why, why are they having revival up in North Georgia and not here? 
because they're having services every single night and, and hundreds are getting water baptized and that's the thinking of revival, which is cool. But what we could say to that is, well, God's obviously touched that place and, and you can go to that place and experience His, but, but the end result of God, His end result is never to tickle your flesh. His end result is to place you in a planted place of His Spirit. He wants you planted. He, he doesn't want you roaming. Or, now here's the thing. He doesn't want, want us roaming around trying to find revival. He wants us planted in a place that He chooses. And when I plant my life where God chooses, I experience the fruit of what it would be to be revived. Life begins to happen in my soul. And yet, it doesn't even have to be a ooey-gooey service. I just need to be in the place where God planted me. And that could be kind of boring, but I'm planted in the place where He is and my soul is enriched. Because there's a lot of people that go to the places where all the wild stuff's going on, but they leave, but their life is not enriched. They have to constantly go back like a drug addict. They have to constantly go back. They're constantly looking for the next revival. They're looking for the next feel. They're looking for the next emotionalism because that's what moves them. But as soon as the fix wears off because they're not planted in a place, they live a life that is not one of an enriched life. It is a chaotic life, and they're always looking and blaming things. Well, there's no anointing in my church. Well, that's the pastor's fault. Well, we need to see it come. We don't pray it down. All the words we would think when we think revival. So I began with, here's what we know about God before we start saying we need revival. The intent of God from the beginning was to plant you in a, in a location of His choosing and out of that location of His choosing would come the enrichment of life. Amen. Everything you could need would flow out of that. So I took that thought, is, and this is my thinking, what if revival is not a service on Friday night? What if revival is a place that God has picked that He wants to plant me in? So I went to another scripture. This is what I went to Genesis 12. And the Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your fathers, and go. And it's kind of that same thinking. I need you to leave this place, but I want you to go to that place. So again, we have this thinking that God is strange. God is a God of locations. God, God is not just randomly doing this earth. He has specific places that He has anointed. It's why the, the Savior was born in Bethlehem. And oh, did He not work a great miracle to cause Quirinius the governor to tax so that we would have to go to Bethlehem and pay those taxes. So He said, go to the land, I'll show you. I'm going to make you. Now watch what happens. The making of a great nation was not going to happen if he stayed in his native country. The making of a great nation was going to force him out of a comfort zone 
and force him out of what he felt good about, and it was going to cause him to travel to a place unknown. Now, this is what I begin to know about God. God is not obligated to tell me what that future looks like. So if we say, well, revival's coming to, to Believer's Church, we will be foolish to try to figure out what that will look like. Now, we will because we have, we have testimony of, well, he did it this way at this church, and that church had oil coming out of a Bible, and this church had feathers, and this church had gold dust, and this church had uh, drug addicts healed, and this church had all of it. And then we put all that together and say, well, then that may be what revival is. But if I'm not careful, that means that I'm looking for revival to come and it may already be here. Because His presence is already in the room. So maybe revival is not a Friday night service. Maybe it's whether or not we're looking in expectation to see something. Go, because I'm going to show you something. If you keep looking this way, you're going to miss it. You've got to change your perspective and go that way. So that could tell me, what if God is waiting to bring revival every single week, but when we walk through the door, our perspective is still worldly? Michael has to entertain me and pick the right songs. I'm, I'm stressed to preach a good message to keep people coming back. But he says, if you'll, if you'll go where I show you, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I love this. I'm going to make you famous. And you'll be a blessing to others. So I, I took that thought and went further with it. Book of Joshua. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun. They've been wandering around in the desert for 40 years seeing miracles. You could say that's revival. Their shoes did not wear out. They had plenty of food. We could just live in that land. Miracles every day, manna every day. And God's like, no, no, y'all have missed it. I'm not here to just awe you with my power. Now, if I was going to try to say what is revival, this would be the best definition in this verse of Joshua 1, verses 1 and 2. I would say if I was going to fight for revival, this is how I would define it with the thinking that they're coming off of 40 years of miracles. That feels like revival. 40 years of eating God's food. That feels like revival. 40 years of their shoes not wearing out. That feels like revival. And then God just puts a line in the sand and says, I'm done with all that. There'll be no more manna. Your shoes are now going to wear out because I'm going to place something on you that you won't like, a responsibility. And that responsibility I'm going to place on you, listen to what he said, the Lord spoke to Joshua, he said, Moses, my servant is dead, therefore the time has come. Meaning that though all these miracle things were happening, there was something looming that was greater than that. What could be greater than miracles every day for 40 years? The greater thing is, it's time to come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River, and here it comes into the land. 
God had to get these people in the land because it was in the land that would flow with milk and honey. It was the land where they would be enriched. It was the land where God would set his kingdom. It was the land that would become the nation of the promises of his covenant promises. I can't let you just sit here and wander around in the miracles. I have to take you to a place of covenant promise. I have to take you to a place to where you have a responsibility on you to walk out and live my covenant promises. So that perhaps revival is an expectation of God on me to live the covenant promises. It's a responsibility. I want him to do it. And he's like, I'm not going to do it. Once you go into the promised land, there will be no more manna. Once you go in, you have to fight to take the cities. I've routed the enemies with Egypt. I've took care of you for 40 years. It's time to bear some responsibility. And if you'll bear the responsibility, you will walk in my covenant promises. And if you know the story, they go into the land and they come back out. We can't do it. I'm utterly convinced it's why in America we don't see revival like we think we should see it because I genuinely believe many of God's people just can't do it. The responsibility is too great. It requires things of me I don't want to give up. It requires an effort I don't want to put forth. I want the God that's in a genie bottle. I want the God of my four-leaf clover and the God of a lucky rabbit's foot. I want him to do it all. I don't want the responsibility to rest upon me and my checkbook and my gifts and my talents. So as we push through this, I came to this thought. I, I defined revival like this. God's expectation of position placed upon those who belong to him. Revival is an expectation of position. In other words, revival is God trying to reposition us. It's not that He's trying to pour something out. It's already been poured. Revival is God's trying to push us out of this dead zone into a place of refreshing of His covenant promises that are already here. The promises of God are yes and they're amen. The divine promises of God have already been poured out. They are yours. They are yours in Christ. They are the covenant blessings promised to Abraham, given to you by the Spirit. I have endowed you with a river of my promises and all I have I've lavished out there on you and yet you cry for revival because you want me to do something else. I'm doing nothing else. I need you all to come to the place where I'm already at, which is in the power that I've already poured out. So revival is not lost people getting born again. Revival is the people who belong to God showing where they belong. They show up and they plant their life and they go, God, I'm here. I'm I'm in the place of your planting. And so what happens is when I plant my life in the place of his choosing, my life becomes so enriched. My life becomes so abundant. My life becomes so blessed that even the world starts asking, what's so different about you? My life becomes the drawing card for others to get in the stream. My life becomes that which pulls other people. Get in the river of God. There was a song years ago, you have to be old to know it, 1990-ish. 
It says, the river of God will set our feet a-dancing. The river of God will fill our hearts with cheer. There's something about the pouring out of the power of the Spirit that God is trying to put His people in it for when we get in His planting. And I again, I'm going to go, it's an expectation of position. It's knowing who you are and what He wants for you. So let me give you a few more, and then I'm going to give you some challenges. I came to Jesus, and I thought if anybody wants revival, he would use the word. He would say revival. And yet he doesn't pick revival. He starts out with the time, Mark 1.15, the time promised. There's that, there's that thing again, that timing, that, hey, Joshua, it's time. Go to the land. And Jesus shows up and says, it's time. Well, well, what time is it? He says, the time has come, and he announced the kingdom of God is here. Repent. In other words, now what we begin to see is that revival, the position of revival is to stand in his kingdom. What is revival? It is kingdom dynamics, and I stand within it. And all that the king has for me, I'm in it, and my life will have abundant, favorable blessing of lacking nothing. No sickness, no disease can come nigh my dwelling because I am a child of God planted in the kingdom of God, and my life reeks of kingdom anointing. That's revival. There's plenty of people that go to services but there's not plenty of people that walk in kingdom fulfillment all the time. Every day they wake up, they're at work and their life is revival. They go to the ball game and revival oozes out of them because they're not looking for a preacher. They're planted in a kingdom. They're not looking for another service where weird things are happening. They're planted in a kingdom. So everywhere they walk, they take revival with them. You get close enough to them, you get healed. I know that sounds weird, but it's true. You get close enough to their hands and healing comes out of them. And God is pulling people into this. And we, even Jesus himself says, if you really want to know what the struggle is, the struggle is not the devil. The struggle is not my power. The struggle is I cannot find people willing to work. I have plenty of power. I need workers. The earth has plenty of lost people. I need workers. I need to pull you into this thing called the kingdom because it's out of the kingdom now. We understand that the Garden of Eden was a planting, but that was the kingdom of God manifesting in Adam and Eve. The promised land was the kingdom of God manifesting in the Israelites. And now Jesus says, come into me and you will live in the kingdom of God. So I would like to propose to you, I think revival is positioning yourself under kingdom authority. And when you do, and when a church does, buckle up because you will see things that will blow your mind when you walk under it. Jesus will say this, Jesus answered in John 18 verse 36, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. And that there tells me the struggle of this thing we call revival because the struggle is real because I'm looking for natural things rather than just going, if I stand in His kingdom power, I will see results. 
That's a challenge. Do you believe that if you stand in kingdom power, planted where God has positioned you, if that's Believer's Church, if it's Chapel Hill, wherever it would be, wherever God has positioned you, and said, I've put you in this place, and the place of my choosing is to plant you there, do you have the expectation that if I'm planted there, oh, I'm going to flourish like never before? Because the thought is, this is religion, and it's not flourishing, it's dead religion. And it's far from it. For He raised us, Ephesians 2, He raised us from the dead with Christ and seated us. This is where it's going to get challenging. For Jesus raised us from the dead along with Christ. God did and He seated us with Christ in the heavenly realms because you were united with Christ Jesus. The word seated. And this is where it's going to get dirty now. So this is the challenging. The word seated means to cause to sit down together, to be placed together. And I believe this is why we struggle to see the word revival manifest. And it's off this one thing. We don't sit down well together. We gripe, we complain, we gossip, we get our feelings hurt. We quit. We hop churches. We're looking for something to wow our flesh. When our flesh isn't wowed, we leave. Because the sitting down together is the only way revival could ever happen. Because if God flooded this place with people desperate for hope and desperate for life, it does not take long for the enemy to destroy every revival simply because humans don't know how to do life together. Somebody says, well, I don't think that's the way they should have done it. And somebody else says, well, I wouldn't have done it that way. And somebody else says, yeah, me either. And somebody else says, it was too long. Somebody else says, it's too quiet. Somebody else says, I didn't like that music. We should pray longer. No, we should worship more. We should have altar calls. We should say everybody out in the spirit. We should, and everybody has all the agendas of what revival is because that's what we're looking for. And then suddenly revival's not even around anymore. The only thing we did was split the church and start five other new churches. Because of one thing, togetherness. And, that, and it's not the devil that's the problem. It's flesh. Flesh is the problem. What I read, the devil's defeated. But not the flesh. It has to be crucified. And oh, 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 you can be as the mo most mature human on the planet. And that old flesh will just come out of nowhere. You you'll smell something and it'll be you. <laughs> Where did that? I thought I conquered that. You ever had that? I thought I conquered that. And that old thing just came out and said, hey, I'm back. You have to keep that thing down all the time. So I want to dwell on this here. I want to give you something that... Uh, define it and then I'll give it to you. I wrote this for my definition of revival. It's a coming together of those who belong to Christ for the agenda of kingdom advancement. If you ask me, what is revival? I would say it's the coming together of those that belong to Christ for kingdom advancement. That's the agenda. The agenda is to move the kingdom forward. Now, we all know that anytime we use the word revival, personal agendas are going to get involved. I misspelled that. I'm sorry. I'll correct it. Uh, we, we must know that personal feelings get involved. 
I've never been in a church yet where humans aren't there. I wish God would have said Pastor Labrador Retrievers, but He didn't. It, he picked humans. Humans stink, they bite, they're mean, they're nice. And it's this word for the right agenda that perhaps is why we don't see our nation experiencing an overwhelming influx of hungry, hurting, hopeless people flooding in to this place. They flood in everywhere else, to the gyms, to the, uh, you know, all the theaters and the places they go, but churches are typically uh, statistically on a decline. How could we be on a decline? We have the best thing going. We have, the, we have the word of life. We have healing. We have hope. We have peace. We have eternal life offered to us. We have healing. We have grace. We have favor. And yet we're on a decline? Well, that could not be because of God's power. It could not be because the work of Christ is too weak. Perhaps it is simply because we never sit down to bear the responsibility of what is placed upon our shoulders to see our generation experience a presence of God. I want people to experience the presence of God. So several years ago, I had been here, and Robin and I had been here four years, and a pastor friend came through town, and I had been feeling stirred that God was going to do something divine on the corner. I still haven't seen of what I define divine as. I know what I'm seeing I know what's been prophesied, that there'll be cars lined up to get into the building for hope and healing. Like I have the visuals of, of what that might look like. If, if I said, hey, revival came to Believer's Church, I myself have my own visuals of what that would be. So I try to pull back and go, well, I don't want to ruin it with what I think if revival, what we would term, came to the church... What would it look like? And then I have to tell myself, what if it's already here and I'm just missing it? What if His presence and healing and power and favor and blessing is already here, but I'm not looking the right direction? I'm looking for something and yet it's already here. It's right under your nose and we don't see it. Like, what are we really waiting on? Are we waiting on God to go, boo, I decided to do something? Because I look in the Bible and say, boo, I decided to do something was the day of Pentecost. And the last I read, that never left. It's been here for 2,000 years. So maybe the American church that is so desperate for revival... It's simply saying that we've abdicated responsibility to press into the flow that's already here. And we've gotten comfortable with religion. And we blame preachers and other people of why it's not here. So three in 2017, Pastor Phil came to speak at the church. I had been praying about what is God going to do here? I sat down with the staff. We were over there in the cafe. This is before we did the renovation. And I said to the team, I said, I was praying today. I don't know how to define this to you. I said, but I feel like God is going to bring a 1970 move of the hippie movement like the Jesus movement back in the 70s when it hit California 
God's going to do something like that on this corner. It is going to be a revival of Jesus Christ and His power and life change. And they looked at me kind of like I was dumb but I, because they weren't in the 70s. I was there when it happened. Well, then lo and behold, they just came out with a movie called The Jesus Movement. I hope you saw it. If you didn't do, but it's the 1970 revival of Chuck Smith that broke out in, in uh, California and spread like wildfire all over the nation. So I had shared that with them. Nobody else. People can think you're strange. Pastor Phil came, spoke to the church, left the church, and sent me a text message. This is what he sent. What I felt the Holy Spirit was saying when I was there yesterday is, I'm going to do something radical with this church. It's going to seem radical to today's way of doing things because it's going to resemble the normal early church. Be ready to break out on the left and the right. People hungry for a real move of the Holy Spirit are being drawn. It's going to resemble the move of the Jesus people of the 70s, where liberty will be so real that the Holy Spirit will be able to move in power I also saw some people with resources are going to show up and help to fund this fresh, radical move of God. That was March the 17th, 2019. I've kept it on my phone. Some days I believe it and other days I think, uh, okay, because I love, I'm going to do something radical. I like that, God. I love the line, it's going to seem radical to today's way. I like that because I do like different. But it's going to resemble the normal early church. I don't kind of like that because I love air conditioning, but I think I know what he's talking about. <laughs> but this next phrase upsets me. Be ready. Be ready. And I started questioning, not, not to put anybody down, because I lead the house, so it's to myself as well. But I begin to ask, are we ready? Are, are we ready? Could we handle it? I sat my girls down and I asked them a question. I said, let me ask you a question. If God broke out on the corner at Believers, could you girls handle it? I'm not talking about the amount of people that come. I'm talking about could you handle people talking about your daddy like they do Joel Osteen? Because they either love him or hate him. He either was the greatest thing going or he's Satan's cousin. I say, could you girls log into YouTube and, and watch 3,000 videos of people who hate your father? Because when I log in and I, I, I test Bethel, Bill Johnson, or I test Stephen Furtick in Elevation, there's thousands of YouTube videos of people that hate them, literally loathe them. Andy Stanley, who's just across town, you love him or you hate him. The people that love him, best pastor ever. People that hate him, oh, he's nothing more than a homosexual, gay, affirming, LGBT preacher. So do you literally, I'm just going to ask you honestly, could you handle that? 
Could you handle waking up tomorrow and there's 4,200 videos about how sorry of a man your pastor is? How I'm perverted, I'm of Satan, my theology's wrong, I'm backwards, I use the wrong version, I'm too funny, I'm not funny enough, there's no Holy Ghost, there needs to be more Holy Ghost. He should wear a suit and tie, he wears jeans, he's got tattoos, he's going to hell. Could you handle it? That's what I asked the girls. Could you handle it? Could you girls wake up and have half the country hate us and half the country love us? Because if you want revival, do you think everybody's going to like it? Do you think everybody's going to be clapping for us? You're going to make the newspapers. You're going to be wrong on half the fronts. You're going to teach wrong, say something wrong. Michael's going to lead worship wrong. It's going to be too fleshly. No, it's going to be too religious. Oh, they just sing set lists. There's no Holy Ghost. Nobody's laying on the floor. They should have people laying on the floor. It's just religion. Could you handle it? That's when I start asking myself. This is not about God breaking out. It's whether or not there's enough mature people to handle the breakout. Rather than sitting at home, I wish they would just quit talking about me. (laughs) I thought everybody liked me. I'm so sweet. And then I have to go call everybody. I heard you said something mean about me, and I just want to make sure you don't think I'm mean. I would never get anything done. And then you're trying to defend me. We would never get anything done. Suddenly it becomes about the agenda. Protect the preacher, protect the church, protect our character. And we're not even doing the revival anymore. So I ask you, I'm all for the liberty being so real. I'm all for all the things radical. But ask yourself the question, can you handle the breakout? Can you you be mature enough not to get your feelings hurt? Can you be mature enough not to have winds of doctrine that blow through and you get caught up in it? Can you be mature enough not to get caught up in the gossip and the anger and the hate? Because in every revival, there's that group of people that arise. Every revival has the naysayers. Let's not even think ourselves anything important. They thought Jesus was the devil. He's doing miracles, and they say, You're nothing more than Beelzebub. You're the Lord of the flies. Can you handle that? Can you be ready? Or do we just want to come and be preached to and go home and come a couple of times a week? And so I wrote down four questions. They're going to sting, but I'm going to ask Michael to come. Michael, if you will, come get ready. Here's the hard questions that Believer's Church has to answer. Number one, what selfish behavior needs to die off in you right now? Because you cannot have revival and be selfish. Somebody will steal your seat. Somebody will take your parking spot. Somebody will get in your way. Uh Uh-oh, somebody will get in your way. Somebody will say something, gossip about you, post something on Facebook. Can you handle it? So the first thing that has to go is selfishness. It's what robbed Adam and Eve, selfish behavior. I don't want what God wants. I want what I want. It's what robbed them from going into the promised land. There's too many giants in the land. I know there's great grapes there. There's a lot of good fruit. But I don't think I want to go, man. It's just going to be that selfishness. That selfishness that says, I want God to do it all for me. 
And I had to answer this. And I had to be honest with myself. I had to be honest with the girls. I had to be honest that I love the kingdom more than I love what people think about me. And I love God's kingdom more than I love what naysayers may say about me. And girls, I cannot let the naysayers stop me from running hard after Jesus Christ. We can't do that either. There may even be other churches. Here's what's funny. There was a revival up in North Georgia. I don't know if it's still going on now. But it was so funny. I was checked in. I was watching it on YouTube. As I'm watching it on YouTube, there's a whole other YouTube channel telling why their YouTube channel is wrong and it's not a real revival. Oh my God. How? It breaks out in Asbury. Revival breaks out in Asbury. Everybody's going to Asbury for this new revival a year ago. And now there's YouTube and, and Facebook pages and Twitter talking about how the Asbury revival's wrong. Can you handle that? Can you handle walking out the door and while you're in the door, somebody's holding up a sign, y'all are in a cult. You're a cult. Your pastor is a cult leader. Could you just get in your car and go eat Chick-fil-A? Or, or is that going to sideswipe you? Number two, what amount of effort are you willing to give? Joshua, pack them up. Uh, I don't have, I'll teach this later. I've got about two minutes. Uh, you, you know what they did before they went to the, to the promised land? They all got circumcised. You want to know who's on your team? We're going to circumcise you outside. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not on that team. I want a t-shirt, not circumcision. God said, not a one of you going to go take it until you're circumcised. I need to see some skin in the game. Come on. I need some skin in the game, boys. Get on the hill called Gilgal and cut your circumcision that I may know you belong to me because I need the skin of my covenant in the game. Number three. Can you shift your normal for God's radical? Everybody in the room, if I had asked you, define revival, we would have about 70 different answers. Because our normal is the way we want God to do it. And what I find out is, let your normal go, because usually when God does it, it's not what you thought. He's got a whole other plan. Can you let your normal go? And number four, this one hurts. If you love it, will you fund it? We can't touch the world when we give dollars and two dollars. We give the world everything and we give God a leftover. I don't know if you know this, but to have a breakout on the corner, it takes money. It takes nights of electricity and lights being left on and toilet paper being bought. I've said this before. Revival broke out in Pensacola. They were spending 100000 a month on toilet paper. I would have just told people, don't poop here. <laughs> Are you willing? Stand up with me if you will. I've asked Michael to just come. Michael, if you'll just start playing. I want the Holy Spirit here more than you could know. I did not come on this corner to just take Dad's church, to be a good son and say, Dad, I'll take the legacy. I came, yes, I love my parents, 
I came because God spoke to me and said, someone has to reap the seeds that have been sown. And he spoke to my heart, son, I want you to move to Douglasville with your family because you're going to reap those seeds. I have never let go of that word. I was praying about what to open up with tonight and that prophecy of Pastor Phil came and the Lord spoke this to me and you can judge it for yourself, but for me, I perceived it, Jesus. Mark, are you ready and are you willing to stop talking about the prophecies and begin to birth them forth? Are you willing to work for it, son? Are you willing to die to selfish behavior? Are you willing to count the cost? Can you handle the naysayers? Are you willing to give above and beyond? Are you willing to sell things to fund my kingdom? Are you willing to sweat for my kingdom? Are you willing to move over and expand to the right and the left? Are you willing to mow the grass in the field and put up a barn that can handle all the harvest that's coming? Part of my soul is, Lord, I want you to do all that and I just want to enjoy it. And he says, no, I need workers. So bow your head. I'm going to ask Michael just to play. I just, 